Welcome to Uplifting Humans, where we honor, empower, educate, and inspire the listener. I'm Solyndrin Buller, your host. Today, our guest is Chris Chung. He's a vision-building storyteller. He embodies teachings from a long lineage of imagery masters, Taoist and Zen masters, Lao Tzu, and their teens, who came to him in 2016 to teach him and initiate him during many hours of dream time and deep meditations. He assists others in bringing forth non-dual dreams from the void, transforming imagery into practical milestones. Welcome, Chris. How are you? I'm really good, Sal. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you know, it was such a such a, a privilege to have a short conversation with you. I thought, you know, got to... Yeah really allow for Chris to dive deeply into telling him, sharing his story with the world, because your story is so filled with such an amazing, amazing journey, and where you are today is even more amazing. So on that note, Chris, can you share in your own words, what was your upbringing like first? Um... Well, my, I was um, born in Australia to Chinese Hong Kong parents who were academics and they were teachers and they valued, um, they valued family togetherness, they valued happiness, but they pushed happiness um, and perfection um, and success. And so I was on this path where, you know, I had all the typical Asian, um, uh, like teachers where I'd be learning piano since I was four, I would be, um, sent to highly academic schools and needing to get really good grades, all going towards a career of success and family togetherness, which was pushed towards me yeah now were you an only child chris or was there any other siblings i had a younger sister she's two and a half years younger than me and did she feel the very same pressures that you felt that you're expressing today oh yeah i think so but because i was the first child i suppose more experimentation was 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 on me like you know being a dad now it's like you sort of don't know what to expect right when you walk into parenthood it's like it's like your first child is that one that um you probably take more photos of but you know less of what you're doing (laughs) very nicely put very nicely put because let's face it you want to go and drive a car you have to go through some form of training and yet parenting huge responsibility no education required yeah <laughs> right right what happened to that part of education at school like we weren't taught about relationships we weren't taught about how to be parents sex ed was just be protected <laughs> and that was it like and then you're thrown out into the world Yeah. And it's left to the parents to do, but the parents were never taught. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 
So do you, you know, looking back, um, as much as you felt those pressures at the time, um, did you feel that you were becoming that rebel child that, you know, some parents envision, okay, we're pushing, pushing a little bit too much, and now we're going to create this? Or were you just the, you know, obedient, you know, child who was just going to keep going forward? I was very obedient. I mean, I really didn't have... I was very playful um, and I loved to play. And a lot of, a lot of um, uh, what had to be driven into me was this notion of responsibility and taking the fun out of everything, mm. um, becoming serious. Life's not about play, um, about being strong. You're not allowed to cry. So I wasn't cradled as a, as a child. I don't remember these, the, the moments where, you know, when, when I would feel um, really sad or upset or frustrated, I would be crying and crying and screaming. Um, and, you know, my dad would tell my mom to not pick me up, to not cradle me, to not embrace me. So I lacked physical affection. And this is a very typical um, Asian trait that, um, or Chinese that there's not so much physical affection that's shown. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, if there's a scene on the television where it's, um, where it's a bit more sensual and there's people kissing, the TV would go off. And so it's very, so sensuality was very much shamed and physical connection was very much shamed. So growing up as a child, it was already a bit, I felt a little bit different to all the kids because of this, the color of my skin and, and, um, and, uh, just I, I was different. My culture was different, and my and and my, the values of my parents were different. Mm -hmm. um, but not just that; it was it was it was all also made so much more difficult to connect with other children because of the physical and social um, sort of boundaries boundaries set by shame. Um, so yeah. And now, as, as, now this continued, I'm thinking, probably into your teenage years. Right. So, as a young child, you would sum it up as probably feeling a little alienated, feeling a little bit lonely, and not quite knowing how to navigate. Right. right. And so, you step into your teenage years. Does a rebel come out yet or not yet? It doesn't really. I mean... I, you know, I, for me, um, studying and academics, um, was very easy for me. I didn't just have a really good memory. Um, things made sense very, like I wouldn't, yeah, I would just, I would digest things very, very quickly. So I was actually really bored in school, even though I went to, you know, quite a top tier school. My form of rebellion was just playing computer games. Um, I didn't do any homework, but then it never showed because I was getting really, really good grades nonetheless. Mm -hmm. um, so, but, so the rebellion didn't really come until, um, until I was at university, until, until I was, um, yeah, until I hadn't left home yet, I was still at home. Um, but university was just so much, even that much easier than, um, than school. 
because oh, really? you know the, the degree yeah it was there were less hours so they were optional and it's like really that you know i don't have to turn up <laughs> there was no one there to give me its attention there was no threat of um misbehavior like not as much of a threat of misbehavior and growing up i had gone to an all-boys school and not knowing how to have a relationship with women yes. who weren't like say my sisters my mothers or family friends yes and all of us and dating was strictly prohibited prohibited and so all of a sudden I was welcomed into this world where, wow, there's all of these females and I have no idea how to interact with them. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was a challenge. It was a, it was a different type of challenge. So were you on campus or were you actually um, driving to and from? I was driving to and from. To and from. Yeah. Okay. So there's a level of freedom. Now you have the freedom, but now you have your own built up, uh, belief system environmentally and internally and so now you're questioning yourself completely consciously but you're also feeling like there's a part of you which needs to not be not be so uh, what's the word awkward awkward right. in certain situations okay right. so let's fast forward now so we have a little bit of the lay of the land as to Chris growing up and so what actually took the big turn? What huge challenge? What, what came your way that shook your world and rocked it? Um, well, as I went in, as I was, you know, going deeper and deeper into a career that was um, highly successful, um, really, really high paying job, um, with you know stable stable girlfriends um i was feeling less and less happy mm. i was um looking back at it now prob i would say you would clinically diagnose me as depressed even though i didn't show like stagnation it was very driven mm. um so I was addicted to partying. I was addicted to alcohol. I was doing lots of drugs, a lot of different types of drugs. Mm -hmm. um, I was addicted to porn. My relationships were, were, um, were void of, of feeling. They were very transactional. Mm. Um, I didn't have a good relationship with my parents nor my sister. Um, it was just what I would call workable. And um, yet I had everything that you would say is of a success. What should make someone, what should, you know, create a, the perfect white picket fence, happy life, you know, the perfect job, the perfect, you know, girlfriend or, you know, all of you know, a house, a, a money. Yet inside I was deeply unhappy. Mm. And it was in going down this path when I was around 28, I would say. I was out um, at a birthday party for a friend, drunk. And we, and we just for fun, decided to arm wrestle um, for his birthday. And I broke my arm. Wow. 
it's it totally snapped. The humerus just unwound itself and it snapped. And I had to go into surgery. Um, eight hours of surgery. It was longer than than normal because they had to reattach nerves. Um, they put two plates in my arm. And so it was about a year of rehabilitation of my hands after that. But the moment that I came out of surgery, something shifted in me. It was almost as though like I had this, um, now I would call it a, a near-death experience, but then I had no idea what had happened. I just woke up knowing that I needed to make a change in my life. And what I said to myself then is, I want to make the most of what I've been gifted. And I was seeing at the same time, I was put into this uh, geriatric se section of the, um, of the hospital because they had no other beds in, in, the, in the other sides. Um, and I was watching all these 70 and 80 year old, 90 year old um, people carrying their, rolling around their intravenous strips. Mm. And I was like, this, I don't want to be this. This is where I'm heading right now. And I don't want to be there. And for the first time, I, I sort of lost that invincibility that 20-year-old men often have. Um, and there was, for the first time, like the sense of vulnerability, like, oh, you know, softening to this. I couldn't use my arms properly. I played the piano. I couldn't, do, I couldn't really do that anymore because my fingers wouldn't lift up. And so that's really what kicked off some of the shift. Mm. And now where were your parents at this point when you, you know, you know, went into this uh, arm wrestle contest and now you're in an eight hour, you know, <laughs> episode in the hospital. What yeah. are they thinking? What are they going through? I, I, I don't think they, well, I, by that stage, I'd already been living away from home in a completely separate, separate state. So, so now a flight away. So we're already like distance in, in terms of physical separation. But yeah, when I called them, they flew up immediately. They're like, how, I don't know how this happened. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they were definitely there to support me. Um, Lovely. Well, you know, and I mean... I, I think every generation tries to do their very best, even though it's it's far from what our expectations are or, you know, what could have been done. But that's that's good to know that there was still Absolutely. that relationship and that they showed up. Yeah, they yeah, they they have always wanted the best for me. And that's a really beautiful gift that I can't say that every child um, has the opportunity to receive. Um, it's just that, yeah, in wanting the best for our children, um, sometimes what is best is not what our beliefs are, or what, not what we value. And we sort of fail to recognize that or potentially we sort of project dreams and hopes of, that we had as children onto them. You know, there's so, I, like, I could speak for hours, hours on it, but there's so many layers of, um, of, of, um, of discipline, of intention, and how that, you know, kind of rolls into the child. Yeah. But I had, you know, yeah, 
amazing so parents. You had amazing parents, which is beautiful because there's a lot of angry people out there that they feel that, you know, their parents could have done more, they didn't do enough, and it goes right. on and on. Right. So now get zooming back for, uh, to the hospital. So here you are, you've had this horrific you know, situation that you've just gone through and now you need to change, bring change. How did you bring change? Yeah. Um, so the key theme here that I said was, I want to make the most of what I've been gifted. What I knew I had been gifted with at, and I wanted to make a change back towards was I was really good at, um, at sports. I was, um, uh, you know, uh, like a, a a, a very fast, a very good athlete. Um, and I had been taught um, a lot of exercises, a lot about nutrition, um, had been doing gym um, back when I was at school. So I said, okay, I know how to approach physical health. So I began down the road of um, looking at my diets again, um, going to the gym, doing exercise, um, I had done many years of Kung Fu and martial arts and uh, not quite Qigong, but a little, just touched on it, dabbled on it. Um, so I also took up dancing. Um, I started dancing every, almost, you know, every day I was doing um, different types of dancing. And so um, that's where I, that was the only path I knew. Um, and this was back in, yeah, 2000 and 2008. But towards the end of, even after doing all of this, um, I think it was around 2011, 2011-ish, I was still like, there's still, I stopped, I stopped dating um, in around, after I broke my arm because I realized that nothing was working for me and everything was just ending up in a lot of hurt and broken relationships. Mm. And I was like, I need to work on myself um, before I can get back into a relationship. So I stopped, um, I stopped womanizing. I stopped trying to chase women. I stopped dating. Um, and yeah, so towards 2011, I still felt like something was missing. I would still have these out, uncontrollable outbursts of, um, of like anger. And, um, and there were very weird things I would get angry with. Um, and I would find ways of not getting angry with other people, but at other things. And um, can you give us an example, like share an example. So the like for instance, um, two, my two kitties, I had two kitties mm -hmm. um, and I would create rules for them. Like you're not allowed to jump on the table. If they would jump on the table, I would get so, so, so angry, so angry. And I would create all of these rules and conditions that were literally impossible to abide by. You can't really tell a cat to not jump on the table. Like that's just setting them up to fail. And we do that a lot in our relationships. We sort of set up these conditions in a, in a way that, okay, it's now okay for me to express anger. 
So, so now, okay, you've broken the rules. I'm allowed to be angry. So I realized there was something amiss. Something inside of me was still amiss, even though I'd done all of this physical work and all of this nutritional work. So I decided the encouragement of a friend to sort of pursue um, the kind of source or reasons or investigate more um, where as a child, I had a lot of visions about the future, which many of them came true. And that sort of made me really curious because I was raised very, with a very scientific, logical um, rationality sort of mindset. And so all of that was quite woo-woo. It was sort of like, mm, I don't know how to put this. What's this vision stuff? So I went to see a psychic in uh, probably, I'd say, December to 2012. And she told me, and that was, I had so much resistance in doing this. I was like, I didn't even know what I'm doing. And so I called up this woman. She knew nothing but my first name. And she told me all of these things about myself. And I was like, what is going on? And one of the, th one of the things that we sort of stepped into was, um, was this, was, um, we were speaking about Reiki and I, I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I looked into this Reiki stuff, which I had no idea what it was about. And she's like, okay, the fact that both of us have um, spoken to this and called this out, you need to go and get a treatment. You need to know what this is. So this was December, early December. And so I actually took, I went and find a practitioner and I took time off work. I took the day off, which was so rare because I would be, I would never took a day off. I wouldn't be sick. I wouldn't take any holidays, you know, unless it was for a reason, but I actually felt like I needed to take the day off. So I went to take the day off and I went to see this Reiki practitioner. Yes. And this was in the middle of December and of 2012. And I felt all of these tingles through my body and, and this sensation that was, that was like not profound, but just different. Like I hadn't experienced this, this hand, hands off energy work. And I was like, wow, this is a whole different, different like level of that science doesn't speak to. Now I'm going to stop um, you there for a moment. Yeah. And I'm just going to ask you a quick question. Were you very sensitive prior to this arm breaking and all of that? Like, were you mm. able to even sense any sort of sensations which were unfamiliar? Were you I was, no, I was really, really numb. I numb to my emotions, numb to my feelings. I could give really amazing massages. Um, and I had a sense, I had a sense that there was something different about when I would massage people. Um, because some of my, um, ex-girlfriends, they would have, um, really severe menstrual menstruation pains. Mm. And I just remember being able to put my hands on the, the the back of their um, hips and push into it and their pain would go away mm. and the thing i put it to was 
as an athlete, I self-treated myself a lot. I had an auntie who was a physiotherapist. And so she taught me a lot about how to work on my, on my own body. And I had even her equipment, ultrasounds and things. And I was working on myself. So I just put it down to that. I was like, okay, I, I kind of know, but you know, like it's how to push this and that, but really I wasn't pushing any muscles mm-hmm. at all. So I had nothing relatable to the feelings or sensations. And so I generally either went numb, went numb to them, or I just ignored them. Mm. That was, you know, I, I didn't. But you did have them. And that's a big thing because a lot of people, you know, all of a sudden there's some turn of events and then they become highly sensitive, but you obviously were sensitive and, yeah. but you chalked it up to something else rather I than would. your abilities. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. So then, yeah. And then after the middle of December, 20, 2012, just literally a week after I had that therapy session was when I probably had the most profound mystical experience that really, I would say shifted everything for me, which mm-hmm. is when I, when I was walking to dance class, I, um, I, suddenly this was on the 21st of december 2012 and i was i i literally couldn't walk to the dance class i was getting pulled home um and i was like okay i knew that there was this meditation that was happening that was being run by drunvalo melchizedek mm-hmm. and it was this online web um web uh meditation and I was like, okay, I don't know why, but I've got to walk home and do this meditation. Mm. So I got home, um, and I just sat on the edge of on the on with my back against the bed, yes. curled up, and I just started playing it. And probably halfway through this meditation was when I started to have what I would describe as a heart orgasm. And instead of it being a sexual orgasm that emanates from the genital area, it was emanating from my heart. Mm. And I was spasming out for about 20, what felt like 20, 25 minutes until the end. And and after the the meditation, crying. And I felt connected to everything within a three meter radius of my body in in my room. Like everything was a part of me. And I finally felt, I knew, I was like, this is what it means to feel unconditional, compassionate love. And at that point, I was like, what is, afterwards, I was like, what is this? What is it that I just experienced? But I think after any massive Kundalini experience like that, you can never go back it's impossible. It's, it's only then ever, ever forward. You, you, you are set on this path of being driven to, to searching, driven to, um, to seeking. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions at this point, just because the audience is probably wanting to know this as well. Um, you found out about this particular meditation, which was happening. And then all of a sudden, you thought, oh, I think I'll do it. Oh, I won't do it. Or you just decided I'm not doing it. I'm going into dance class. 
Yeah. Well, it, for me, it felt like there was no, I didn't have an option. Ah, okay. Like I felt like I was being dragged by my feet to go back home. Like there was almost something physically restraining me from going to dance class. Um, the, I would say like the invisible guidance and yeah, it's, um, it was the second time that I had meditated. So it was not a regular practice. Um, but yeah, the choice point became less of a choice. So how beautiful is that? It's almost like a magnet. A magnet, yeah. Yeah. So on on that note, I'm going to share with the audience um, a beautiful saying by Rumi. There is a void in your soul ready to be kindled. There is a void in your soul ready to be filled. You feel it, don't you? You feel the separation from the beloved? Invite him to fill you up, embrace the fire. Remind those who tell you otherwise that love comes to you of its own accord and the yearning for it cannot be learned in any school. That kind of sums up our first half of the segment with Chris's journey. And Chris, we, were, we are definitely going to have you back to share the balance of your journey. And if anyone wanted to get a hold of you, Chris, do you have a website? Do you have an email? Because there's tons of people. And, and for our audience, I want you to also share, where are you located? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we're based in Kauai right now. That's our home. Um, it is such a beautiful island. Um, it's when we first arrived here, it's like everything that we saw, the scenery, the, the, the flowers, the, the greenery, everything's just HD, like vibrancy. And you take a photo on your phone and you'd be like, this saturation looks way too, way fake, <laughs> but it's like that. You look at it in real life and it literally looks like that. Um, so we're very blessed to, to call Kauai our home. Um, and Chris uh, will get into a full blown version of how he ended up there because I want the audience to actually realize that life has got its own journey set out for you. So, yeah. So, Chris, your contacts, please, for the audience. Um, you can check out our website, it's kindtrainer.com, and you can reach us there. Uh, there's a lot of really cool uh, info um that of what we offer and and also like um articles and things to check out and i and i love the part where chris uh, and the team have come up with beautiful verbiage modern day language for things that sometimes very difficult for for an individual to express or, or really um put into one word where everyone understands so um yeah. And, and I think, what area of the website is that, Chris? Because I really love that part. Yeah, well, I mean, I've got a section where it's, um, I've got jargon demystified, where there's a lot of spiritual jargon, um, spiritual terms, acronyms that, um, you know, uh, thrown about everywhere. 
Um, but I felt it was important to give some definition to that because there's, there are so many layers to, to, to words um, and specific words and, and, and things that, um, that I feel are important. Yeah. yeah. No, well, we thank you so, so much, Chris. And we look forward to hearing the balance of your journey. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. I'm Solyndran Buller, your host from Uplifting Humans, where we honor, empower, educate, and inspire the listener with real stories and expert advice. Till next time, have a wonderful day.